Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 54. Today we will be reading book 13, chapters 1 through 7 in the Ascension edition of the book. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast God's Planning. There you'll find short weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find God's Planning with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplanning.org. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. The first chapters of Book 13, St. Augustine continues his consideration of creation in the book of Genesis. He reflects on the reality that all of creation comes from God's goodness and exists within God's goodness. And in looking at Genesis 1-3, he begins to reflect on the type of light that is created here. And in these verses and following, he will talk a bit about how he sees the Trinity's presence in all of creation and in the act of creating. So let's get started with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 1. I call upon you, O my God, my mercy, who created me and does not forget me, though I forget you. I call you into my soul, which you prepare for yourself by the longing that you yourself inspire in it. Forsake me not now that I call upon you, who aided me before I even called and urged me onward with so great a variety of repeated callings, that I might hear you from afar, be converted, and call upon you who called out for me. For you, O Lord, blot out all that my evil has deserved, lest you repay into my hands with which I fell from you the recompense that would be justly owed to me. And you have been the source of all the goods that I deserve, so that you repay the work of your own hands with which you made me. For before I was, you were, nor was I anything to which you might grant being. And yet, behold, I am, because of your goodness, which is the source that precedes all that you have made me to be, yes, because of that goodness from which you made me. For neither do you have any need of me, nor am I any sort of good that would be helpful for you, my Lord and God. I do not serve you as though you would tire out in your work without me, or as though your power might be less if it lacked my service. Nor is it a question of cultivating your service like a land that would remain uncultivated without my labors cultivating you. Rather, I serve and worship you so that I might receive well-being from you, the very source of the fact that I have a being capable of well-being. Chapter 2 for from your utterly full goodness your creation subsists, so that a good that could neither be of use to you, nor was of your very substance, lest it be equal to you, might nonetheless have being, since it could be made by you. 
For what did heaven and earth which you made in the beginning deserve from you? Let those spiritual and bodily natures that you made in your wisdom declare how they would have deserved from you their very dependence upon you. Yes, they depended on you even in their initial and formless state, whether spiritual or bodily, ready to fall away into immoderate liberty and far distant dissimilarity from you. The spiritual, though without form, being superior to the bodily, even if the bodily had been formed, and the bodily without form being better than utter nothingness. Let them say how, formless as they were, they depended upon your word, unless by the same word they were brought back to your unity, imbued with form, and from you the one sovereign good, were all made very good. How did they deserve to have from you even the fact that they were without form, since they would not even be this except that you give it to them? How did bodily matter deserve from you even to be invisible and formless? Indeed, it would not even be this if you had not made it. And therefore, because it did not exist, it could not demand that you give it existence. Or how could the unformed spiritual creature deserve to receive from you even to ebb and flow darkly, like the depths, but unlike you, unless it had been turned by your word toward the same word by which it was created, and so illuminated by him as to itself become light, not equally, yet in conformity to that form that is equal unto you? For just as being and being beautiful are not the same in a bodily being, for otherwise it could not be deformed, so too for a created spirit, living is not the same as living wisely, for otherwise it would be unchangeably wise. But it is good for it always to hold fast to you, lest by turning away from you it might lose whatever light it has obtained by turning toward you, and might relapse into a life resembling the dark depths. For we ourselves too, who are spiritual creatures through our soul, turned away from you, our light, and for a time in this life were darkness. And we still labor amid the relics of our former darkness, until in your only begotten one we become your righteousness, like the mountains of God. For we have been your judgments, which are like the great depths. Chapter 3 What you said at the beginning of all things, let there be light, and there was light, I do not inappropriately understand to refer to spiritual creation, for there was already a kind of life for you to illuminate. But just as it had no claim on you for a life that could be illuminated, so too now that it had being, it had no claim to be illuminated. Nor could its formless state be pleasing to you unless it became light, not merely by existing, but by beholding the illuminating light and clinging to it. Thus, both the fact that it lives and lives happily are owed to nothing but your grace, for by a better change it has been turned toward that which cannot change into better or worse, and this is you alone, because you alone simply are. Yes, for you it is not one thing to live and another to live blessedly, for you yourself are your own beatitude. Chapter 4 what then could be lacking to your good, which you yourself are, if these things either had never been, or had remained without form, all these things that you made, not out of any want you felt, but rather out of your great plenitude of goodness, restraining them, and converting them to form, not as though your joy were fulfilled by them. For to you who are perfect, their imperfection is displeasing. Hence they were perfected by you and please you, not as though you were imperfect and were perfected by their being perfected. For your good spirit indeed moved over the waters, but was not moved by them, as though he rested upon them. For when your good spirit is said to rest upon someone, he causes that person to rest in himself. 
But your incorruptible and immutable will, which is all sufficient in itself for itself, moved over that life which you had created, a life for which living is not the same as happy living, a life that still lives even when it ebbs and flows into its own darkness. And thus this life still must be turned back unto him by whom it was made, thereby living more and more upon the fountain of life, and in his light seeing light, there perfected, enlightened, and made blessed. Chapter 5 Behold, now it is in a glass darkly that I see the Trinity, that is you, my God, because you, O Father, created heaven and earth in him, in your Son, who is the beginning of our wisdom, for he is your wisdom, begotten of you, equal and co-eternal with you. We have said much about the heaven of heavens, and about the invisible and formless earth, and so too about the dark depths, dark through the wandering instability of its lack of spiritual form, unless it were turned toward him, from whom it had its given degree of life, and by his illumination had its beautiful life, in the heaven of that bodily heaven which thereafter sat between the two waters." And now I understood God to refer to the Father who made these things, and beginning to refer to the Son in whom he made these things. And believing as I did that my God is the Trinity, I continued to search in his holy words, and I saw that your spirit moved upon the waters. Behold the Trinity, my God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator of all creation. Chapter 6. But why, O true speaking light? To you I lift up my heart, let it not teach me vanities, dispel its darkness, and tell me, I beseech you, by our mother, charity, tell me why, I beseech you, why, after mentioning heaven and the invisible and formless earth, as well as the darkness upon the depths, why does your scripture then at length mention your spirit? Was it because it was fitting that we should come to know of him as moving about above the waters? And this could only be communicated after we were told about what your spirit moved over. For he did not move about over the Father, nor over the Son, nor could one say that he moved above something if there was nothing over which he might move. Therefore, it was first necessary that you speak of what he moved over, and only then to speak about him who could fittingly only be spoken of as moving about above. Chapter 7 Hence, let him who can turn his understanding to the words of your apostle, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And let him also consider where, containing spiritual gifts, he teaches and shows us a more excellent way, the way of charity, and also where he bows his knee to you for our sake, so we might know the supereminent knowledge of the love of Christ. And therefore, from the beginning, he, your spirit, moved supereminently above the waters. To whom shall I say this? How shall I speak about the weight of evil desires, pulling us downward into the steep abyss? And how shall I speak of charity, which raises up again by your Spirit, who moved about above the waters? To whom shall I tell these things, and how shall I express them? For it is not into physical places that we plunge downward and then emerge. What can be more like them, and what less like them? They are affections, they are loves. The foulness of our Spirit flows downward with the love that is filled with trouble, and the holiness of your elevating love gives us untroubled repose. And thus we might lift our hearts to you where your spirit moves about over the waters. And thus, when our soul has passed through the waters that give us no support, arrive at last at the supereminent repose. All right, book 13, kicking it off. St. Augustine begins, as he is wont to begin, with a prayer, with a prayer of praise, of thanksgiving. And at the beginning of book 13, he does so, as we've just heard, by acknowledging God, of course, who, who creates, 
who keeps him in existence, who has no need of him. And St. Augustine remembers that God remembers him even when throughout his life, Augustine had been away and hadn't remembered him. So there's kind of this theme of memory again here of God remembering of St. Augustine not remembering, but of, of God keeping him in existence, holding him in existence, sort of waiting for him to come back. So it's perhaps not new for us as we're starting the 13th book, but is this sort of through theme that we've gotten from St. Augustine. So I don't know, Father Gregory, thumbs up, thumbs down on the beginning of book 13. Um, yeah, so I'd say thumbs up. That's usually a safe bet when you're dealing with uh, something written by St. Augustine, especially something written after his conversion. Uh, because as we heard in the Confessions, he wrote some things before his conversion, but some of those he can't track down even now. But but in this particular instance, I think this idea that, you know, God remembers us even when we forget him. Uh, there's a line that we'll often read in the Liturgy of the Hours where it says, even though we would be faithless, yet he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And St. Augustine along the way has highlighted the non-parallelism between our interactions and God's interactions. And in a certain sense, while we might feel lorded over or, you know, sovereign godded, it's a great consolation that God continues to offer the possibility of, right, the kind of graces which will lead to salvation, uh, regardless of whether or not we pay attention to them. So, it, you know, it can be obviously distressing to penetrate on your own sin and vice, but to know that it's underwritten by a continual offer of return to the Most High God, it shouldn't give you license to continue down a sinful path, but it should give you encouragement that, you know, when you feel your worst and say to yourself, you know, who will deliver me from this body of death, as many hardened sinners are, you know, won't to quote the sacred scriptures to themselves, uh, that you have an answer to that, that you can respond positively and, you know, convictedly that it is God. So, cheers. Good job, St. Augustine. We approve. <laughs> so, Augustine carries on in book 13 with his reading of and expounding on, I guess we could say, commentary consideration of um, the creation accounts in the book of Genesis. And here, he'll do so by sort of walking through subsequent verses. So, we'll start off with uh, verse three and then kind of walk through. So, we're going to walk through with him. As he does that, or before he gets into it, he makes a point to talk about the goodness of God. We talked a little bit about this. Well, I guess we kind of talked a little bit about everything in the intro episode, in the bonus episode. So, if you listened, it's a little repeat, but if you haven't, it's new. Uh, but he talks here about God's goodness, about all things coming from being created from God's goodness and existing in God's goodness, that God creates gratuitously. It's a total gift, and it overflows from, from God's love and his goodness. So I think it's important to recognize for ourselves this fact that in our, in our lives, uh, in our existence, we exist not because we have any right to exist, not because it's something that we can demand or are owed. It's also not something that changes God. You know, God isn't made better because we exist. He's not made worse if we didn't exist, etc. There's no change in God. He's perfect in himself. But in his goodness and the love that's shared in the communion of persons in the Trinity, God decides to create as a way to manifest his glory, as a way to share his life, his love, with us. So St. Augustine takes a moment to reflect on sort of the, the overflow of God's goodness that, that spills over into new life and creation. So yeah, Father Gregory, thoughts on God's goodness that, that we are the recipients of in a pretty major way. Yeah, I, I mean, we've meditated on 
than the bonus introductory episode to this book, but in previous episodes as well, because we've touched on creation so often. We've meditated on uh, the difference between God's kind of motivation and our motivation when interacting with another being. Uh, That's the most general way to put it. But we're often motivated by need. So we eat and drink because we get hungry and thirsty and we procreate and educate our children because otherwise the species is just going to like go extinct. And we seek to know the truth about God and live peaceably in society because otherwise our lives just kind of stink. So we're, we're constantly reaching out to creation in various ways so as to build up what is lacking in our nature or in a certain sense to address this kind of what unhealable wound at the heart of our createdness, which is broken open specifically to the complement of creation. So it's like we're made on the way, we're made with an openness towards reality by which we hope to be completed or perfected or however you find it best to express that. Uh, whereas in the case of God, that's just not that's just not what we see. And that we still speak of will or we still speak of love, right? Which we're gonna have to adjust our understanding of those terms because they exist preeminently and they exist utmostly in God. And our will, our love is but a limited or a kind of constrained expression of the divine will and love. And so here we see it as a kind of overabounding of life or a kind of teeming vitality at the heart of the Godhead, which is expressing itself in creation by this kind of gratuity, by this gift quality that we've highlighted at various turns. So I think that 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 can be an invitation for us to purify our concepts or purify our understanding of God, not just make him like one of us or make him like a a big human being in the sky because he's not. Uh, We're going to have to do a little bit of work in order to rid our thoughts, rid our notions of limitations, right, of imperfections, of weakness and woundedness so that we can find God something closer to the truth, who he is, in fact. And this is, I guess, the whole the whole thing of conversion, right? Conversion is not simply, is not simply just changing our moral actions or our external actions, but it's, it's really, it's a matter of changing everything um, to be oriented to God, which includes our understanding of who he is, of what he is, of what he isn't in our lives. So as Father Gregory is pointing out, this, this deepening of our knowledge of who God is with respect to creation is, is just all part of that, of coming to know God better in who he is and how he's revealed himself. So, and, and seeing the goodness of God and the goodness of creation, St. Augustine, he, he moves on through these verses of the first creation account in Genesis 1. And he, he begins by looking at Genesis 1-3 here. And if you remember in Genesis 1-3, it's, there's the line of, let there be light. Um, for us, and meditating on what St. Augustine and trying to understand what St. Augustine is, is talking about here, it's helpful to remember that, that this isn't the creation of the sun. This comes later in the creation account, but it's a creation of a different type of light, of a, we could even say like a, a spiritual light, a light that exists independent of the physical corporeal world. So Augustine wants us to pay attention to that, to the fact that this light that is created on the first day is not the light of the sun, but a, a different type of light. It's a sort of spiritual reality, a incorporeal reality in ways. What are your insights, thoughts here, Father Gregory? Yeah, so I think... Um this again is going to challenge some of our understanding of these first few verses of the book of Genesis. I, I mean, in my own case, I can simply say that I hadn't thought about it that deeply previous to reading St. Augustine's commentary and, you know, whatever, shame on me. But moving on, here we are. We find ourselves in the present position, so let's profit from it. Uh, but St. Augustine asked some really provocative questions about Genesis. Recall, we've highlighted the fact that he writes about Genesis in various places. So the literal commentary on Genesis and the uh, 
his commentary on Genesis against the Manichees are two of the big ones that we've highlighted. He also wrote the imperfect book, the Liber Imperfectus uh, commentary on Genesis, and then he, he treats Genesis again in the city of God. So it's something that he's, he's very interested in. And also St. Augustine, we've also mentioned, is one of the first fathers of the church to interpret these creation accounts allegorically or kind of mythopoeically. And um, part of the reason for which is because he engages with the text in a very, you know, intense and rigorous fashion. So, you know, you're talking about let there be light here. You're talking about the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars at a later point in this first creation narrative. And so he's he's like wrestling with these seeming incongruities, and he's asking deep questions as to how we should interpret the passage of time, for instance. Again, we've seen that. Like, how can you interpret the passage of time when there's no sun around which the world is going to revolve? So yeah, these are all these are all good and you know interesting questions. And so in light of the data which he has at his fingertips, he's trying to read the scriptures in their context and in their kind of place within the analogy of faith to make certain sense of them. Again, with the latitude that we described in book 12, admitting of various interpretations provided that they can be reconciled and provided that um, they haven't been clarified by the church as out of bounds. So here, it's just an excellent example. It seems like when he's talking about light, he's not talking about the light that we experience as emanating from the sun. He's talking about a kind of spiritual light, a spiritual creature. And this is in concert with what we heard previously about, you know, the heaven of the heavens and then the earth as these kind of primordial creations that he described in that previous passage. So yeah, it's, it's just a cool exercise in, in a holistic exegesis. So in the final chapters that we're looking at today, St. Augustine, in in um, looking at creation sees, especially in these verses, sees the hand of the Trinity as a whole creating. Father Gregory, in our in our intro episode, spoke about the missions of the second and third persons of the Trinity, of the Son being sent and of the Holy Spirit being sent, but also their role in, in creating here. One of the things that we should remember is that when God acts, especially in the act of creation, he does so as one God. It's not as if the Father creates and the Son and the Holy Spirit are relaxing and doing nothing as, you know, that sort of thing, but they do so as, as one Godhead creating. So the role of the Son here as the word through which all things are made and the Spirit is the one who's sent to sort of has this role in sanctifying and healing and bringing together their, their beginning it's not just a sort of New Testament reality that the Son and the Holy Spirit have some sort of role and influence in creation. They do so as the one God in the Godhead creating out of the goodness of God, such that all existence, all is being led back to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity. So, Father Gregory, in our in our final sort of minute here together, what are any other insights that would be profitable for us? Yeah, I think th- this also shows the grace of interpreting the sacred scripture in the life of the church and the life of her liturgy, because you know if you ask from a kind of raw literary or historical or cultural or sociological you know point of view what are the first few verses of the sacred scriptures mean somebody's going to tell you you know they're probably composed between the 10th and the 7th century bc and they couldn't possibly have known because x y and z factors but we know that the scriptures are authored by god right and that he inspires the inspired author and it's not like necessarily a trance but nor is it they just inspired authors that is write whatever they want and then the church picks them up later and says "Ooh, this is interesting let's call it scripture you know there's there's a real work of inspiration that's unfolding or developing in the composition of the text and it's possible it is conceivable that the earliest of sacred scripture speaks of the most blessed trinity who is its font and wellspring and so you know he'll talk about in these passages about the father and then he'll kind of put that in talking about the son and the like begotten wisdom and then the holy spirit whom will you know describe in subsequent 
conversations. But yeah, I just find the, the confidence that he has, it's not naive. It's not because he doesn't have a better explanation. It's not because he hasn't mastered all the different disciplines which we've mastered in the 19th and 20th century. It's because this is what God does. So cheers. <laughs> Good. Well, we'll leave it there for today. We're going to pick up with St. Augustine and his interpretation of these days of creation tomorrow. So stay tuned. Until then, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Thank you.